the Bible. From America's colonial period to her rise to become the richest, most powerful nation in history, the ideas and values that guide us, protect us, and hold our society together flow from the pages of this book of books. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Our founding documents affirm and build on the scriptural concepts of God-given, not state-granted rights, and of liberty under law. The biblical worldview shaped our work ethic, made education a priority, and birthed the notion of finite, limited government under divine authority. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The pilgrims, the Puritans, the founding fathers, and American leaders throughout our history have emphasized the Bible's importance to America. The first and almost the only book worthy of universal attention is the Bible. John Quincy Adams. But for the book, we could not know right from wrong. All the things desirable to man are contained in it. Abraham Lincoln. The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. Calvin Coolidge. The Bible Live is your opportunity to listen to the Bible. A 15 to 20 minute reading every weeknight. The entire Bible every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout on this annual excursion through the Word, Soapy Dollar. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us tonight for The Bible Live broadcast, continuing as we do each and every program through the Bible. We are making our rotation now to the New Testament where we have read Matthew and now the Gospel of Mark since the beginning of our reading year, somewhere around the 1st of November each year. We are picking up at chapter 10, verse 35 tonight in the Gospel of Mark, where we've been following the experiences of Jesus the Messiah as presented to us by John Mark. You remember John Mark, this young man who went with Paul on his first missionary journey. He dropped out somewhere along the journey and came back. Barnabas was patient with him and helped him not become a quitter, but become a winner. There was an argument about John Mark and his usefulness to the ministry there between Barnabas and Paul. They didn't let him go on the second journey with them. John Mark quite probably knew and observed Jesus himself, but it is said that he is writing from the memoirs, the perspective of the apostle Peter. It's a gospel that has the theme of Jesus, the Messiah, as a servant. You can see that very clearly as he goes from person to person, from event to event, pouring out his life in service to God the Father and in order to glorify God in service to other people. There in chapter 10, we'll pick up where Jesus teaches about leadership. What are the true characteristics of a leader? We'll see him enter into Jerusalem for the last week of his life, the last week of his ministry tonight. Right now, though, let's go to our Wisdom and Worship segment, finishing up Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs 1, verses 20 through 33. Wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. She calls out to the crowds along the main street and to those in front of City Hall. You simpletons, she cries. How long will you go on being simple-minded? How long will you mockers relish your mocking? How long will you fools fight the facts? Come here and listen to me. I'll pour out the spirit of wisdom upon you and make you wise. 
I called you so often, but you didn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice and rejected the correction I offered. So I will laugh when you are in trouble. I will mock you when disaster overtakes you, when calamity overcomes you like a storm, when you are engulfed by trouble, and when anguish and distress overwhelm you. I will not answer when they cry for help. Even though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me. For they hated knowledge and chose not to fear the Lord. They rejected my advice and paid no attention when I corrected them. That is why they must eat the bitter fruit of living their own way. They must experience the full terror of the path they have chosen. For they are simpletons who turn away from me to death. They are fools, and their own complacency will destroy them. But all who listen to me will live in peace and safety, unafraid of harm. End of reading, Proverbs 1, verses 20 through 33. What if I lost everything that I had? I could smile and somehow still be glad and say, Thank you, thank you. Cause life is joy, life is pain, but the prayer of my heart will never change. I say, thank you. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. I my life in a different way. Took a little more time to stop and pray. I know it will change all the moments in between. So here I go. Thank you for everything. Thank, Thank you, you for loving me. It don't even matter what tomorrow Take time to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. What a wonderful promise we have from the scriptures tonight. As we read the book of Proverbs there, it talks about all the difficulties that those who do not trust in God, all the difficulties they will face. Then it ends up with this wonderful promise, all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear of harm. As I was listening to the Proverbs tonight, I was thinking about how much trouble, difficulty, chaos, calamity, worries, complications that our country is in today and how many people are living a life of anguish and distress because, oh, so many terrible decisions we're making as a country, both morally and politically. We're in that downward spiral that we read so often about in the Bible when we look at the people of Israel. That seems to be where we are in America. Things are going downhill, and yet those who listen to the Lord will live in peace, untroubled by fear of harm. Right now, though, we're going to go to our reading from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus' ministry has been headquartered and centered primarily in the northern tribes of Israel. But now he's making this last journey down to Jerusalem, where he will ride into Jerusalem, fulfilling the prophecy there in Zechariah, and he will face his last week of life and ministry. The Bible Life. Mark ten thirty-five through 12, 44. Mark 10. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is it, he asked. In your glorious kingdom, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, they said, one at your right hand and the other at your left. But Jesus answered, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of sorrow I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they said, we are able. And Jesus said, you will indeed drink from my cup and be baptized with my baptism. But I have no right to say who will sit on the thrones next to mine. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples discovered what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that in this world kings are tyrants, and officials lord it over the people beneath them. 
But among you it should be quite different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve others, and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so they reached Jericho. Later, as Jesus and his disciples left town, a great crowd was following. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road as Jesus was going by. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus from Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, some of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, Tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. Teacher, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has healed you. And instantly the blind man could see. Then he followed Jesus down the road. Mark 11. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them, and as soon as you enter it, you will see a colt tied there that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, The Lord needs it and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside a house. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, What are you doing untying that colt? They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their coats on the road ahead of Jesus, and others cut leafy branches in the fields and spread them along the way. He was in the center of the procession, and the crowds all around him were shouting, Praise God! Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Bless the coming kingdom of our ancestor David! Praise God in highest heaven! So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. He looked around carefully at everything. Then he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he went out to Bethany with the twelve disciples. You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. The next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus felt hungry. He noticed a fig tree a little way off that was in full leaf, so he went over to see if he could find any figs on it. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the merchants and their customers. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the stalls of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from bringing in merchandise. He taught them, The scriptures declare, My temple will be called a place of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so enthusiastic about Jesus' teaching. That evening, Jesus and the disciples left the city. The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it was withered from the roots. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, teacher, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Have faith in God. I assure you that you can say to this mountain, May God lift you up and throw you into the sea, and your command will be obeyed. All that's required is that you really believe and do not doubt in your heart. Listen to me. You can pray for anything, and if you believe, you will have it. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. By this time they had arrived in Jerusalem again. 
As Jesus was walking through the temple area, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the other leaders came up to him. They demanded, By whose authority do you drive out the merchants from the temple? Who gave you such authority? I'll tell you who gave me authority to do these things if you answer one question, Jesus replied. Did John's baptism come from heaven, or was it merely human? Answer me. They talked it over among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask why we didn't believe him. But do we dare say it was merely human, for they were afraid that the people would start a riot, since everyone thought that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, We don't know. And Jesus responded, Then I won't answer your question either. Mark 12 Then Jesus began telling them stories. A man planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At grape-picking time, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. The owner then sent another servant, but they beat him over the head and treated him shamefully. The next servant he sent was killed. Others who were sent were either beaten or killed until there was only one left, his son, whom he loved dearly. The owner finally sent him, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But the farmers said one to another, here comes the heir to this estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him and murdered him and threw his body out of the vineyard. What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do, Jesus asked? I'll tell you. He will come and kill them all and lease the vineyard to others. Didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone rejected by the builders has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous to see. The Jewish leaders wanted to arrest him for using this illustration because they realized he was pointing at them. They were the wicked farmers in his story, but they were afraid to touch him because of the crowds, so they left him and went away. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. The leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to try to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Teacher, these men said, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and don't play favorites. You sincerely teach the ways of God. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to the Roman government or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and said, Whom are you trying to fool with your trick questions? Show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. When they handed it to him, he asked, Whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, Jesus said, Give to Caesar what belongs to him, but everything that belongs to God must be given to God. This reply completely amazed them. Then the Sadducees stepped forward, a group of Jews who say there is no resurrection after death. They posed this question. Teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will be his brother's heir. Well, there were seven brothers. The oldest of them married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow, but soon he too died and left no children. Then the next brother married her and died without children. This continued until all the brothers had married her and died, and still there were no children. Last of all, the woman died too. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Jesus replied, Your problem is that you don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they won't be married. They will be like the angels in heaven. But now, as to whether the dead will be raised, haven't you ever read about this in the writings of Moses? In the story of the burning bush, long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. You have made a serious error. 
One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the discussion. He realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, The most important commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of religious law replied, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other, and I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing this man's understanding, Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Later, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, he asked, Why do the teachers of religious law claim that the Messiah will be the son of David? For David himself, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David himself called him Lord, how can he be his son at the same time? And the crowd listened to him with great interest. Here are some of the other things he taught them at this time. Beware of these teachers of religious law, for they love to parade in flowing robes and to have everyone bow to them as they walk in the marketplaces, and how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and at banquets. But they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property, and then to cover up the kind of people they really are, they make long prayers in public. Because of this, their punishment will be the greater. Jesus went over to the collection box in the temple and sat and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two pennies. He called his disciples to him and said, I assure you, this poor widow has given more than all the others have given, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. End of reading, Mark 10, 35 through 12, 44. What if in the morning when I wake up, even before I fill my coffee cup, I said... You're listening to God's Talk Show, The Bible Live. Before I moved forward, I bowed my head and said, thank you. Oh, I said, thank you. What if I looked at my life in a different way? Took a little more time to stop and pray. I know it would change all the moments in between. The beginning of this final week of Jesus' life. We read about Jesus clearing the temple for the second time. This was a second time that he goes into the temple and the worship of God had become so corrupted by so many of the temple employees and those who were in the pay of the Roman authorities. The Levitical system had been interrupted. Some 70 to 75 percent of the folks who worked in the temple, tax collectors and so on, were not Levites. They were on for hire. It was a terrible situation having corrupted almost entirely the place of worship that God had intended by the temple. I was very much impressed by this passage at the beginning about Jesus coming to serve others. This is a very definitive passage for the Gospel of Mark because this is a general theme. Jesus as the servant, 
James and John, called the sons of thunder, they ask for positions of status and honor, authority, when Jesus comes into his kingdom, and they create a stir among the disciples. But Jesus answers their question, and he answers it in a very, very interesting way. And its significance even to us today. Jesus talks about the rulers in this world will lord it over their people and officials will flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, my followers, he said, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Servant leadership, that's the model. Sometimes we so emphasize the death of Jesus, the cross, that he died on the cross. And yet we have to understand that Jesus' death on that cross would not have meant anything, would not have accomplished anything if it hadn't been for his perfect life of surrender and giving of himself, dying to himself from day one of his life in ministry. His death on the cross was only the, the climax. It was only the final climactic act of self-giving, of self-denial and giving himself in benefit of others. His whole life had been an example of that. As we've noticed here in the Gospel of Mark, going from person to person to person, day to day, and he walked it out by faith. He didn't know what was going to necessarily come at him every day. People tried to take advantage of him. People tried to abuse him. People tried to trap him. All kinds of people he met, those for him and against him and those indifferent to him, and yet he constantly was there giving himself away to them, giving his time, giving his energy, giving his finances, helping them in every way he could. So that was the model of Jesus' life, giving himself away. It made me think of that passage. I'm not sure if it's here in the Gospel of Mark or one of the other Gospels, but he says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. In the same way, now we are to live that life of selflessness, of giving ourselves away. That means our time, that means our energy, that means our talents, that means our treasure. Giving ourselves away in benefit and love to others in the name of the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving ourselves away. And people will abuse us the same way. They will try to take advantage, but that's what our calling is. I remember that old saying, I love the world, it's just people I can't stand. But you can't do that. It's about people, the two things that last forever, God's word and the souls of people. And if we pour out our lives in benefit of those, investing our lives in the name of the Lord in those matters, then our lives will count for eternity. Tonight, we read about the blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. The prefix bar means son of in Timaeus, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. A little detail of the scriptures. Good to know. Good to have that in your head as you read through the Bible. You read about Barabbas, son of Abbas. Son of a father, actually, is the way the translation of Barabbas' name. I thought of Bartimaeus. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now, here they are, the disciples and others, two good eyes. They could see the miracles. They could see the life of Jesus. They could see the scriptures. They could examine the truth basis of Jesus' claims to be the Messiah. And still they were struggling. And here's this guy who's never seen He had never seen Jesus, never seen the miracles, but he saw his moment. He had heard this was the son of David, the messianic title, and he took his moment. The faith was there, and God intervened in his life. Bartimaeus made the decision. The will is at the bottom of all of this. I was having a good long discussion with my oldest son this last week, talking about this very thing, that it really comes down to our motivation. What are our motives? And I can't know your motives or anyone else's. Sometimes I'm not even quite sure I know my own. We read about him the other night, the fellow. He said, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. So as best he understood, he believed and he wanted to believe. But sometimes we don't even know our own motivations. 
Well, there's so much there tonight. We read about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of that young donkey that he sent for that was loaned to him. I want to read Zechariah 9. It's that passage that talks about the Messiah will come riding on a donkey. I wanted to read to you that passage from Zechariah. He penned these words over 500 years before Jesus was born. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on the colt of a donkey. It's long understood that was a messianic passage, a prediction, and here we have, these hundreds of years later, Jesus, for the last week of his life, he enters into Jerusalem in this occasion on the back of this donkey, the foal of a donkey. And he begins now as he cleans out the temple, as he confronts the religious leaders, and he begins to carry out that last ultimate climactic act of his sacrificial life. life. Soapy Dollar, Soapy Reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndall House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now, don't forget, join us each weekday for the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's Word. 